You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, and welcome to the Get Fucking Real podcast, where we get to talk with people that are wormhole certified. (laughs) They have been pronounced experts by the fact that they have lived through, thrived through crazy shit in their lives, and not only learned from it, but now they're helping others to not go through that same crazy stuff, or even maybe if they do, to do it with more finesse (laughs) and in a shorter period of time. That's my goal anyway. So our guest today is no stranger to this. His name is Robert McPhee, and he wrote a book called Manifesting for Non-Gurus and quickly fell on his face (laughs) as a guru because he didn't ask for help. So here's a question for you. I want you to really think about this. How good are you at asking for help? And I know that I went through a significant period of time in my life where I sucked at this and I just saw it just like, it wasn't even an option. I didn't even know that I was not good at it. So I just want to like, that's why I want you to really think about it because I just didn't, it wasn't even an option. I just did all the things myself. I could figure it out. You know, like I just didn't even think about revealing to other people that I had stuff that I would want help on. (laughs) And of course, this created lots of uh, physical symptoms for me. Migraines were my, is my, among my biggest teachers, um, anxiety, all kinds of stuff, because I just kept hiding. Robert calls this, I love it. He calls it the Wizard of Oz effect, where you don't want anybody to peek behind the curtain. And this is what had him have to sell his house to avoid declaring bankruptcy when he was running his business and had basically run it into the ground and nobody knew he was even struggling. And he talks about the moment that he had a share with his wife, that they were in a a very dire financial situation and how, of course, that whole experience brought him to where he is now, which is the creator of the Excellent Decisions Leadership Program. And he talks about how that's where he messed up, was he just made lots and lots of bad decisions because he wasn't getting any advice or seeking any counsel. And he said that he actually, he went through so much effort to make sure that anyone that could have helped him didn't find out he needed help. So I encourage you just to think about how good you are at asking for help. And is there a place in your life that you really should be asking for help right now? And I have to tell you, you know, my, I haven't talked about this a lot on the show and I'll talk about it more in the future, but my sister went through a horrific situation a couple of years ago. And the thing that I and like was so in awe about was how transparent she was and how from the get-go, even in the most embarrassing thing that she was going through or that somebody could call it embarrassing, she didn't hide it ever. And she got so much freaking help. It was amazing, both, you know, from like people around her just, you know, because she asked for it. And then the universe was just so clear what to deliver her. There was just miracle after miracle, after miracle, after miracle that helped her. So y'all asked for help and enjoy this interview with Robert McPhee, who, by the way, is the former director of training for the Jack Canfield organization, which if you don't know Jack, he wrote 
the chicken soup for the soul book, which then became like a, you know, an, an industry unto itself. And he also wrote the success principles and, and Robert, uh, ran his company for a bunch of years. And so that actually, you know, kind of lent, I think that that added to him not being willing to ask for help and admit that he was struggling and all that good stuff. So he shares about that and his experience with Jack Canfield. And it was just a really great conversation that I hope you will walk away with perhaps some illumination about where maybe you, there's help to be had and you are not allowing it to come forward. Look forward to you meeting Mr. Robert McPhee. Hi, Robert. Born ready McPhee. <laughs> Welcome to the GFR show. I'm glad to be here, man. It's been, we've been talking about doing this for too long. I'm glad we finally get to do it. Me too. I'm really glad. I had so much fun on your show. It's such a great podcast, Excellent Decisions. And you really asked such great questions. I was like, I don't know why I make that decision. Every, my answer was intuition the whole, the whole time. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, intuition is a, is a very interesting way of staying focused in your vision and your values, which is what Excellent Decisions is all about. If you're really open and receiving that intuition, chances are you're very connected to your vision and values. That works. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Except my vision and values is, I think it's like an ever evolving thing. So it's like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, let that's, me, let me move over here. <laughs> yeah. Anybody listening, write that down. That's yeah. a really, it's a really good point. Like, oh, I clarified my vision and values. Now I just get to coast along for the ride. I've been doing this work for 20 years and I'm still clarifying my vision and values every month. So every month you do that every month. I do. I do. That's a beautiful month. discipline. Well, yeah, well, you know, it's one of those practice what we preach things. You know, if you talk about it enough, eventually people hold you accountable to actually doing it yourself. So, so and, and I just, I find the value in it. I mean, it's, life is easier when you're really clear about what's important to you. So it is so true. So do you have like a, a, a ritual that you do? Like, do you like take a half day and do it? Or is it just like a to do and you kind of take an hour and check in on it? Or, you, you know, know, I have it, I have it in my calendar you know, the first of every month, something pops up on my calendar and reminds me to do a vision and values review. And depending on what else is going on in my life, I will, I, I, best case scenario, I, I like to get out of the office, get out of my home, get out into nature and, and spend a little time with it. And that all sounds really good. But you know, when that little thing pops up on my calendar, sometimes it doesn't really feel like I have that much time. So I might just take a half an hour and sit out on the porch and just review. It's, it's always in writing for me. Like I have literally a document that's with me and as a bookmark in my journal all the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm reviewing it that way too. So it's a matter of going in and just really updating the document. So it's great when I get out into nature, doing it at the beach, the park up on a mountain somewhere. But, but again, I, I'd be lying if I said it always works that way. Cause sometimes it's just like, okay, I got 15 minutes. I'm going to do it right now and check it off my list, depending yes. on what's going on. Yeah. I, I have a couple recurring things like that. Like there's this one, prayer that I like to do regularly from one of my favorite authors, Tosha Silver, and it's abundance prayer. And when I first went through her little program, I call it little program because it was in a book. I didn't uh, work with her personally. So it was like, oh, you do this every day. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'd like to do that at least weekly. Right. And what I find so illuminating is when it pops up, what my mindset is at the time, like, do I actually just take a minute click the thing, do the prayer, or do I have like, I'm too busy for that, or I don't have time for that, which is as valuable as doing the yeah. thing <laughs> is confronting my mindset that, it, that is happening when it pops up. Do you find that too? Absolutely. If, if nothing else, even if it is a really busy time and I only have 15 minutes, the awareness that that's the state of my life is, is a good thing to have pointed out to me because sometimes that state of busyness can go on for months and months and months if if something like that doesn't pop up on my calendar. To, yes, if it, to if, it if goes unchecked, <laughs> it could yes, go on for exactly. months. Exactly, and, and we've all, I think, had that experience. Oh, where, for sure. Wow, this has been going on for months and months. I, I need to shift it, so. Yes, yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of invitation for stopping these days, I think. Um, you know, of course, one of our GFR commandments is know that sometimes stopping is the most lucrative action to take. And that confronting, I mean, confession question is where do I need to pause or stop but haven't because of fear? And, you know, that one's a commandment like all the other ones because it's shit that I say, would say to my clients often and myself. So I think now more than ever, we're being invited. It's very counterintuitive to stop. 
but I feel like it is more lucrative, both monetarily and in all the other measures of abundance, more lucrative now more than ever to do that. And how really needed really, really is like irrefutably needed. Sometimes I think well, my clients just hire me to give them permission to stop. <laughs> it's okay. Well, and I think for a lot of people that word stop doesn't feel like something they can do. Like I can't mm-hmm. stop, you know, all, I, I've got to keep all these balls in the air. I've got to keep yeah. all these plates spinning, but you used another word that I find people are really open to, which is pause. Pause. You know, it's kind of the same thing, you know, just <laughs> Shh, don't tell them. <laughs> pause, pause just means you're stopping for a second, but, but pausing, oh my gosh, that's, if, if you're, if we're not periodically pausing, oh boy, we'll go down one of those wormholes you talk about, right? Yes. <laughs> If we're not periodically pausing, we will yes. get sucked down into a wormhole. Yes. Stop and take a breath. I'm a sucker for alliteration, so I have to write down periodically pausing because that <laughs> sounds fun to say. Okay. All right. So I would love to dive into your, uh, you know, GFR wormhole journey, which is why you know all all of us are gathered here on the GFR show to really be vulnerable and share some of the struggle that led that leads to our success because it is a as an expert in my world we're constantly evolving we're evolving experts and i think that's you know really normalizes that condition just like we you know the opening chit chat was about you know the check that you do every month because it is a constantly moving target and so i I really really appreciate that so I know that a significant part of your life as an expert was working with Jack Canfield uh, in his organizations with in various capacities. But what I did not ask you, and I saved it till we pressed record, was where were you before that, and how did that transition happen into working with Jack? Yeah, that's kind of a funny story because um, I had what I call an accidental entrepreneurial success coming right out of college. A good friend of mine and I uh, started a small business. Uh, He had worked as a valet parker back east, and I had worked as a valet parker in the San Francisco Bay Area when we were both in high school, and then we met in college. And when we were graduating college, he actually identified some restaurants that could really use valet parking in the San Diego Beach area. And we started this thing just as a summer job that we would go out and do valet parking for these restaurants because we both knew how that worked. And it was the greatest summer job ever, right? Like we're, you know, out on the beach, outside, you know, living the dream, watching all the girls walk by in bikinis. It was awesome. And, you know, all cash, right? We'd go to the bank on Monday. They thought we were dealing drugs. Um, (laughs) Or you were um, a pole dancer. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. So it started as just a summer job, but over a period of years, it turned into a very successful business because we did it again the next summer. And then we picked up a year round account and then we started doing special events. And next thing you know, within about seven years, we had over 400 employees Oh my gosh! We all over Southern California. And we were doing hotels and hospitals and restaurants and special events and all this, all this stuff. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, it was like I said, I'd like to say we, you know, we had a perfect plan and it all worked out exactly the way we thought. But the truth is we were two guys who were committed to doing it right and really committed to serving our clients. Some of the same principles I work with now, we, we were accidentally following at the time. And, um, and during the course of that business, I kind of became a junkie for personal development stuff. I went to a, you know, like a half day seminar for how to deal with difficult people or something. And somebody held up Jack's tapes. And then I said, oh, that sounds good. And I bought his tapes and I listened to him in in my car. And then I ended up going to a summer training that he did. And literally one thing led to another. And over a period of time, I decided I wanted to get out of the parking business and into the teaching and training world. Um, I kind of ran that side of our business. I worked with all of our managers and created kind of the culture side of our business. And I... (laughs) The first time I went to one of Jack's trainings, I started meeting people and it was like, oh, I'm the director of education for the state of Nebraska and I'm a quantum physicist at the MIT. And I was like, oh, I run a parking company. (laughs) (laughs) The weirdest thing. But but that entrepreneurial success created the opportunity for me to be able to make that transition. My partner actually bought me out of that business and and allowed me to get in and, and started doing the work partially on my own and then transitioning into actually first of all, I was supporting Jack's work because I had gotten so much out of it. And then one thing led to another. 
And I ended up being the director of training for his organization and working very closely with me, not on the chicken soup for the soul side of his business, which is actually what he's best known for, but more on, he wrote another book called The Success Principles, which is an amazing book. And um, we were doing live trainings and mastermind groups and coaching groups and all those types of things. And I was really responsible for running all of that. And he was an amazing mentor and teacher. He's one of those people who really practices what he preaches. You know, none of us is perfect, but if you look at Jack, I call it the Wizard of Oz effect, where sometimes in our world, we meet people who really look like they have it all together. And then you peek behind the curtain and you see, oh, they're not exactly living their life in alignment with the principles that they're teaching. And, uh, and Jack is the exact opposite. If you peek behind the curtain, you'll see someone who under very difficult circumstances, because he's, he's not like Oprah celebrity. He's not like, I can't go to the grocery store kind of celebrity. But in the world of personal and professional development, he's literally one of the most well-respected and admired and, and sought after people in terms of, I want you to write the forward for my book or co-venture with me on something or endorse my project or whatever. And he handles it all so gracefully um, in terms of all that attention that he gets. And, and again, really does live in alignment with, with everything he teaches. So that's what really led me into doing the work that I do now was, was all the work that I did with him. It's such a great thing to hear that he is congruent with what he teaches and probably why he's had the longevity that he has because he, you know, isn't a terror, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, like you hear with, you know, some people, well, you hear that about yeah. people in all kinds of industries, right? That are just, you know. It's so that, ironic though, in, in this <laughs> teaching and training world where we're working with people to live better lives. And if people's own lives are seriously out of whack i mean again none of us is perfect your your, your show is doing awesome like like bringing up all <laughs> these areas that none of us are perfect but I, I think one of the things about jack is if you look not only at how like the public perceives him but if you look at jack through the lens of other people in the industry other speakers other authors other trainers other teachers there's so much mutual admiration and respect for him um that that says a lot because you know People know, you know, you know. Oh, it says an enormous there. amount. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was sharing with you before in the green room, before we started the show, that I have somewhat of a parallel journey with somebody who's maybe not as much of an icon as Jack. Um, Lisa's my good friend, Lisa Sasevich, who is uh, episode, I think, like 13 or 12 or something of the show. And for 10 years, I worked with her and it is, you know, and that gave me insight into a lot of behind the scenes in the industry and, you know, getting up close to people and we would book people to speak at the event, in our events and stuff. And, you know, I would sit next to them for three days while they were waiting to get on our stage. I'm like, that person is, they're kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, like I would just, you know, get to know them, you know, I'd call them like, we'd be like roommates for three days, you know, in the back of the room at the show, at the, at the event. So and I think really what it really is a testament to is how challenging it is to walk our talk, mm -hmm. how challenging it is to be congruent, to stay congruent with what it is we are teaching or holding space for as an expert. And that's why I love how he opens it up, you talking about your vision and values and you reassess it every month because... I think that is where people get out of whack is they're not staying current. And, and now in my work with my unmentor clients, you know, the, the central idea is that our work fuels our healing and then the healing fuels the work. And it's this constant like ascension model type of thing that's happening that acknowledges that every single day we need to say, okay, where am I not living the thing that I am teaching. If I teach anxiety and I'm going crazy because my kids are home, this is an opportunity. This is an invitation. This is, this is me up leveling my work. And, and I always say too, that living our mission is productive. Like you may not feel like you're like getting clients and doing Facebook lives and marketing and doing all the things, but if you're living it, it's productive. It's a box to check on the to-do list. Like it is a significant 
thing. So uh, sure, I love that sure. you had that experience with him. Well, and there's a little bit of a trap built into everything you're saying too, because the minute we're trying to be perfect in the area that we're teaching, we've fallen into the trap where, first of all, now you're trying to create an illusion of something that's not true. And, and second of all, you know, it's, it's just all the energy that goes into kind of hiding that and pretending and, and the internal energy around that level of expectation. And, you know, I, I love you described that as an opportunity. Like if I'm experiencing, I'm an anxiety expert and I'm experiencing anxiety, you said, oh, what a great opportunity. But truthfully, that's not the way most people look at it. Most people are like, oh, what if everyone finds out that I'm experiencing anxiety? I'm teaching parenting. What if they find out I'm not a perfect parent? You know, truth is, <laughs> the quicker they find out, the better it is. Because <laughs> yes. you can move on with becoming a better teacher rather than spending all your energy you know, pretending to be perfect and trying to create the illusion that you're perfect. And yeah, so yeah, and I almost, it really is a trap. It totally is. And I almost think that the person that sees the contradiction is actually, to me, further along and conscious of like, like there's more, I have more hope for than the person who is not in alignment and is not noticing it, is so fiercely holding on. And that's where I've been, ha I've really, enjoyed watching on uh the imposter syndrome phenomenon and mm. and with the confession culture that we hold here on the show and then in our gfr squad our membership really seeing how healing just saying the things are and that saying the things is a significant thing because the unconscious the unconscious version of what you just said where you don't know that you're an anxiety expert experiencing anxiety and freaking out like you don't even know that there's the facade is you're a fish in water. You don't even know, you know, that's how close you are to it. And that's where I think like people like you and I, well, where, you know, we give people permission to be imperfect and to be evolving and to like, it's like, Oh, thank God. Cause you know, I, it's, it's nice to, to feel seen. And I feel like the evolution happens quicker, you know, when you just sort of surrender into it, it happens quicker. Is that what happens in your experience? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I'd like to step into that space. And it's, again, we'll practice what we're preaching here. I'd love to say I've always had that wisdom, but the truth is some of that wisdom comes from some scars along the way of trying to get other people to think that I do have it all figured out and that I, that I am really an expert in this area. And I do, you know, and the fish and water thing is such a perfect analogy because if you're, if you're putting so much energy into trying to create an illusion then you miss the opportunity to be able to find your way out of, of that whole pattern that really isn't working. And yes. um, it, it, again, it just, it, it really is a trap. Like it's, it's like, <laughs> I feel like, like it's a trap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> don't go there, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, don't go, don't, don't open the door, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's 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 really. Um, I mean, I could totally geek out with you on this conversation because um, this year in particular has been such an invitation to evolve for leaders everywhere. And I see how my unmentor clients and I, I just bring them up because I work so closely with them and like the, we have day to day contact in the way that you know I designed this you know the program and stuff because I feel like it is a daily practice of staying present to that. Like I have a client who helps people manifest the fun way. She's amazing. And it took her a while to unravel and use her own stuff, her own manifesting stuff to unravel some significant things to get to the place where she, she can up level her, her work, like, and, you know, launch this retreat she wanted to launch. And, but there was so much that was incongruent or just like, waiting to be resolved in her life that it, she couldn't get there. And it, it seemed, and it could feel like a marketing problem or a selling problem, or, you know, it, it's, it seems that we can, you know, take a course and fix it, but it's not, it's just like staying present and in the game of like confronting the incongruency and like, and like even luxuriating and how awfully fun it is, <laughs> you know, in a terrible, painful way to, <laughs> to have our own masterclass, you know, of our own life. Yeah. And it's so true. And like you said, this year in particular, 
you know, and here we are recording this towards the end of a crazy, crazy year. And I remember in, you know, March, April, May, when this all really started to hit the fan, noticing the way people in our space, in this expert space, in the teacher, trainer, coach, consultants, people were freaking out like on social media and in like everywhere it's like they were reinventing themselves on the fly and they were doing something different and, and pivoting and, i was so yeah, i was so oh nauseous about that word pivot i was gonna just shoot <laughs> yes <myself. laughs> um but and, and again i feel really blessed because timing wise and again we were talking before about you know in the green room kind of thing you know like my my kids are older my youngest child is 23 and I look at people who have young kids at home and what they're dealing with. And that's a whole different level of challenge than what I'm faced with. You know, yes. I've been doing this work now for more than 20 years. And I had the opportunity to work with someone like Jack Canfield and be part of amazing organizations like Transformational Leadership Council in Southern California and learn from amazing people and work with amazing, all this stuff. So when, oh, this is so great, I'm on your show. I can just say it. When the shit hits the fan. Yes, you can yeah, say it. <laughs> Normally I say when the stuff hits the fan or whatever. Um, but when it's hitting the fan, like I do, I pause, like we were talking about, I don't stop. I pause and I go, Oh, isn't this interesting? And I get curious and I look for the opportunity and all those things. But the truth is if I was two or three years into this, if I look back and say, you know, how would I have responded to this then it would be very different than now. Yes. But I just, I remember thinking, Whoa, people take a breath, calm take down. Breath. You know, yes. it, it's going to be okay. It's going to be different. We're, we are going to have to do different things, but it's going to be okay. Can we approach it from the point of view of it's going to be okay? And uh, it's, I will say this, it doesn't seem to be getting easier to adopt that belief, but it's still true. It is going to be okay. Like on some level, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I really could feel in the April time frame the weight of needing to get okay and be okay and believe it will be okay for my clients, for my community. You know, it, it felt, I think there was even like an additional weight of like, I felt like I had a responsibility to get my shit together and get my head right. And, you know, and I did, and I do. And, uh, so it's, it's, um, it feels important. So you mentioned, hard-earned uh, credential, you didn't use that word, but I like to call them that, hard-earned credential that you experienced along the way that has, you know, contributed greatly to your mindset and perspective around staying current and being real and not having that facade. So can you share? So last we left off in your story, you're working for Jack, you kind of worked your way up into the organization. It's funny because I was the director of training too with Lisa Sachevich's organization. So it's really interesting. Great title, journey. It? <laughs> it's a great title. And I had so much fun. I mean, training is like, it's like my creativity. It's like my canvas. I just had so much fun creating experiences and holding space for people. And I, I do miss, I do miss getting to do that with people in person. I have to admit, although I'm, I'm, I'm content at home. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, <laughs> a parallel uh, awareness. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what happened from, you know, where we left off in the story with working with Jack for closely for many years and learning so much from him and the example he set in his organization and, and all that good stuff. So, so again, working with Jack was an incredible opportunity. (laughs) People used to say, well, I want your job. Yes. How do I get yes. your job? You know, they'd see yes. me on stage co-facilitating with Jack or whatever. How do I get yeah. your job? I said, well, oh, and, and, and even more fun is when they would say to Lisa, and I'm sure they said this to Jack, I, w- I need a Robert. Where do I find a Robert? People say, yeah. I need a Lisa Cherney. Yeah, that's so. a great, that's a great acknowledgement. It really is. <laughs> um, and I would say, oh, it's easy. No problem. You go to the training and then you go again the next year. And then your wife goes the year after that. And then you volunteer for four years. And then you take a job that pays nothing, but has a fancy title for three more years. You know, and then <laughs> 12 years later, you're the director of training. <laughs> like, oh, that, that isn't exactly the answer I had in mind. But, but that's truthfully what happened. I mean, I, I was doing my own work for a period of time. I, I really eased into doing the work with Jack. And, it, and at one point, it really did, for a period of five or six years, turned into very much of a full-time. I mean, I was still working on my own, but basically Jack was like my only client. So that role of director of training for him was very much a full-time thing. But it also got to the point where... 
I had done as much as I could really do within his organization. Short of him deciding he didn't want to be on stage anymore, which still hasn't happened to this day. And I don't think maybe will ever happen because he's so committed to the work that he's doing. It had kind of run its course. And I was in San Diego. Their offices were in Santa Barbara. They wanted to bring everything kind of in-house. It was during an economic period of time where, you know, filling training rooms was difficult and they were looking at everything. And, and so it was, it was a good time for us to kind of go our separate ways. And I had actually just written a book. I wrote a book called Manifesting for Non-Gurus, and uh, which I'm very proud of, but I'll, I'll tell you, like part of this journey was I learned, and it took me like four years to figure it out, but I learned that Manifesting for Non-Gurus is a clever title, but a horrible brand. And <laughs> when I Darn it, it, I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, and I hate that it took me that long to figure it out. But again, looking back, it is what it is. So I transitioned out of working with Jack, went out on my own, with the intention of doing very similar work with coaching and consulting and teaching and training and speaking and that kind of work. And, um, must've been a hard decision. It, well, it, it was, but you know, truthfully, the timing was really right. Again, you know, I could, I could have hung around and, and, you know, but it wasn't, it was a good time. It made sense on both sides. So that part of it wasn't really the issue. The bigger okay. issue to be honest was the fact that in terms of running a business, that great entrepreneurial success that I told you about, really the business side of it was my partner's role. Ah. And my role was more the operations. Like I was the guy out there on the streets and developing the training programs and the systems and the structure. And I love doing all that stuff. And when I was working with Jack, which was another great success for me, it was Jack's company. You know, he had people running the business side. I was running the training, the operations, the systems, the structure, the people, all that stuff, which I'm really, really good at. So when I went out on my own, I didn't have my former business partner. I didn't have Jack. I was now responsible for doing that. And the truth is, I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like I was good at it. And I kind of tried to do it and I kind of ignored it. And, and uh, over a period of years, slowly but surely, my business kept going, but it was going based on assets that I had. So I was basically slowly like trickling in the wrong direction cash flow wise. So I was out there doing work. I was speaking, I was coaching, I was training, but business wise, you know, if you looked at my P and L's, it was not a pretty sight. And what I did was exactly what we talked about earlier that we shouldn't do, which was I put a tremendous amount of energy into pretending that everything was okay. And not asking for the help that I needed and not letting anyone know that there was a problem, including my wife, which was a huge part of the problem. And you can imagine on this trajectory, you know, keeping going in this direction and, you know, spinning the plates and, and covering the tracks and all this kind of stuff. I literally took it all the way to the point where um, it all just completely blew up. You know, I, I was late on house payments and there was not any money left in the bank. And I was literally having to look at whether I was going to have to declare business and personal bankruptcy just to get out of the mess that I had created. And throughout that whole journey of getting to that point, I had, I had done it all myself. Like I never was willing to ask for help or share with anyone what was going on. And it, it was killing me, not only in terms of the result I had created called a very unsuccessful business that was about to implode, but also emotionally, like as I'm even telling you right now, I can feel those, those feelings coming up and remembering like just what it was like when it all did kind of explode. And, you know, my wife found out what was going on and that I had been lying to her. And, and I had to let people who I was doing business with know like what was going on and what wasn't working and that what it appeared to be was not what it, what it actually was. And it was humiliating. Like it was you know, because again, like here I am, I'm this expert, I'm doing this work and I'm, you know, the former director of training for Jack Canfield and I know all the success principles and oh, by the way, I'm, there's a few of them I'm not really living. By. I'm fucking up. <laughs> yeah, I've created just a total, total mess. And, and my biggest fear, it's so interesting to look back on it because my biggest fear was that people would find out. And I worked so hard for literally years to make sure that people didn't find out, you know, and I was like, I know I can fix this. I know I can fix this. And I'm, I'm trying with one hand to cover it all up and with the other hand to fix it. Right. And, 
And if I had just been trying to fix it with two hands and not like worrying about trying to cover it up, I think I might've been able to fix it. But I was working, I, I was working with one and a half hands probably to try and make it look like everything was okay and a half a hand to try and fix it. And again, it just completely imploded. And the, 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 the greatest lesson out of it, I think for me, was that my biggest fear, like what if people find out, was not that big a deal. I mean, <laughs> I can remember conversations with people like, like I finally had to reach out and ask for help. There was no other choice. Like I had to let people know what was going on because it was, you know, it was all over the sidewalk. You know, it was sprayed all over the windows. You know, it was everywhere. <laughs> the chalk hide. outline was evident. Yeah, exactly. was there. <laughs> like you, couldn't, you couldn't hide from it. And I would tell people, yeah, well, you know, I, I need some help because, you know, I, I may even have to declare bankruptcy and I don't even know how that works. And, and I would be talking to someone who I knew through my work or whatever and say, they would say something like, oh yeah, I went through that. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's I, like someone saying, oh yeah, I, I chopped off my arm too. No big deal. Yeah, and, you know, that's how you feel, how heavy it is and how significant yeah, it's it is. Like, and, and it was just so like, so ridiculous on some, some level to think of how much energy I put into making sure that someone who could have helped me didn't find out. And, and when they did find out, they truthfully didn't even care, you know, that they really did want to help me out and they would help me out in any way they, that they could. And that wasn't true of everybody. I will say that. I mean, some people, you know, people shamed me and people, you know, I mean, there was, there was definitely elements. But the truth is, and this is one of the principles that I learned that I wasn't following, was that the only way out of it was through it. You know, that I, I had to just lay it out and say, look, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's the truth of it all. And, and then start moving through it. And that once I stopped, because I had to, not because I chose to, I'd like to say that was my first excellent decision. But the truth is, I only did it because I had to, because there was no other way. Once I stopped trying to cover it up and make sure no one knew about it, then I had both hands free to, to work on fixing it, you know, getting it on track. And at the time, I mean, I, I mean, my wife just, she just wanted me to get a job, right? Like screw this right. speaking and training thing. Like you need to just get a job. And that was the time I realized based on my work experience, you know, 17 years as an entrepreneur and, you know, whatever, however many years as a teacher, author, trainer, speaker, I'm not employable, you know, <laughs> no one, I mean, I could get a job, but not a job that pays, you know, <laughs> enough money to live the lifestyle we want to live. So that wasn't really an option. So, you know, making it work, fixing it, getting it on track really was kind of what had to happen. Uh, as far as I could tell, I mean, I guess I could have, maybe I could have found a job, but seemed very unlikely at the time, you know, look through the want ads for, you know, former entrepreneur and public speaker wanted, you know, like not really. So, yeah, I mean, it was such a moment of, of thinking like, if anyone finds out, oh my God, what if anyone finds out? And then when everyone found out, it was, it was just this moment of awareness of how much I had overblown it. Like not that the it didn't story, matter. The story yeah, that, that you it, had created yeah, exactly. about how much of a threat it was. And this is, I mean, this is what we do. This is what most of the GFR commandments are about is, is kind of questioning our own story or, you know, just like getting real about what's not working or what doesn't feel good or, you know, co confronting ourselves. And I, I've, I've been doing this on tiny things. Like I'm rushing to get somewhere and I realize my story is so convincing that I must get to this thing by this time that I'm driving a little bit too fast or whatever, or I'm texting when I shouldn't be. And it's like, because I'm so convinced that this is so important. And this, I recently, I did a, create a little retreat for myself. And one of the things I got from is nothing is, is it very little, if anything is urgent, you know, and I watch how I challenge myself and just how convinced, you know, we just, are so convincing from little things like that, you know, are the rules that we create for how we live and what's right and what's wrong, you know, like all the way through to, I have this secret and nobody can find out. And I'm just certain that that is the case, that my life would be ruined or fill in the blank. I mean, yeah. Well, and it's, it's an identity thing too, because I was, 
I was associating so much of my identity with being a successful business person that the idea of people discovering that I wasn't a successful business person literally made me confront this idea like, well, if I'm not a successful business person, who am I? And, and again, you would think having been around this work for so long that I would be able to kind of figure stuff like that out. But under the circumstances, putting all the energy into pretending that I was something that I wasn't was preventing me from being able to, again, pause, take a breath and, and answer those kinds of questions. And, and, and again, now it's kind of easy to look back on and it seems so silly and it seems so stupid on some level, but I realized that, you know, I am a business person. I've had success in business. I've had failure in business, but it's not who I am. Like that's not really my identity. This is why, you know, I go back with excellent decisions to the vision and values work over and over and over again. You know, it's like an autopilot. It all comes back to vision and values because that's who I am. You know, my relationship with my children and how important they are to me, that's who I am. Like that's, that's at my core who I really am. Um, caring for others, you know, humility, um, you know, these are values that define who I really am, regardless of this month's PL. And there's good months of PL and there's bad months of PL. And ironically, once once I stopped like trying to pretend to be a good businessman when I wasn't, opportunities opened up. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like the things that happened after that all blew up that maybe could have happened a whole lot sooner if I hadn't spent all that energy on pretending everything was okay is, is truly comical to look back on now. Yeah, it's like the universe could not conspire to support you until you were on board <laughs> with, with yeah. wanting something new. It change. was like, yeah, putting my hands over my eyes and saying, why can't I see anything? Why, yeah. I don't understand why I can't see you. <laughs> so there's so much I wanna ask you about this and I for sure wanna spend time on you know the ex excellent decisions, sort of the, the after story of all of that, because for, for me, you know, I have so much more respect for you. I feel like that is a huge, valuable credential that you earned with that whole experience. And, you know, I just, if you haven't suffered, I don't trust you. <laughs> That's pretty much my, my, you know, if you haven't like had some hard earned uh, success, then I, it, it's, it's significant for me. So can you remember what was happening the moment or the day where you're like, the gig is up or the jig is up, like this is it? Did your wife find out by accident? You know, did, you know what? I want to hear a little bit more of the detail because I think that like those moments, like the, like the, the precise sort of moment or confession that you, like that's what I'm, I'm curious to hear more a little bit about because people I think are, like you're in the thick of that and they're like, you know, is this it? You know, is this the moment where, you know, or do I keep hiding? Yeah. And for me, the, the actual moment that comes to mind was, uh, was a notice about a missed mortgage payment showing up in the mail and the conversation that that led to. And I had been not telling the truth for on, on some level for years, you know, it, it was one of those things that starts small and then gets, you know, right, right, gets worse right. and worse and worse. And, and I could have like tried to continue that pattern, but there was something about that particular moment that I just couldn't, like I, I, it was killing me. I mean, literally it was killing me. So, you know, the conversation that went on around that and the, the sharing what was actually going on and where we were actually at, like what the actual situation was. With your wife. And, yes. And, and, and the conversation around that and, you know, her response, which was volatile. I'll just use the word volatile. You know, she was understandably pissed. And, um, and then, you know, I ended up going for a long walk. And I remember just walking and walking and walking, going, <laughs> you know, what the fuck am I going to do? What have I done? What am I going to do next? And, and I think... And, and again, you and I talked a little bit about this before we hit record, but in the world we live in, in the society we live in, in most cases, men are still given the responsibility to provide for their families. And for a man, when you're in a situation like this, where you have failed at providing for your family, it is devastating. Like it was 
it was a truly hopeless feeling for me to to see what I had done and not see how I was going to fix it. Like, like it was, it was scary. Like the, the emotional experience of all that was truly, truly scary. Like, I don't know, it felt devastating at the time. And I really didn't see a way out of it, which was the scariest part. Um, you know, it's one thing to make a mess, but if you don't know how to clean it up, like, like, what do you do? Yeah. And so I, I really, I re, in terms of a moment, it was the conversation. And then yeah. just, I remember just walking and well, I don't walk. know how far I walked. I remember parts of where I walked, but just, just walking, you know, cause I didn't know what else to do. Did you at any time consider suicide? I, I thought about it. I didn't truly consider it because of my kids. Like I could just, I could, it could never for me, it could never get to that point. It definitely got to the point of thinking about it again, because it's because not knowing what to do. Yes. So there, there was that like, like considering it as an option. But I mean, I have, I have three amazing kids. Um, I, I say I had an unfair advantage as a parent, because I was actually working with Jack Canfield while my kids were young and growing up. <laughs> so, you know, most, most dads don't have that, right? So my kids grew up around, you know, conversations about personal responsibility and setting goals and leadership and communication and all this kind of stuff but awesome. most kids just don't don't get so they're they're just like amazing and and i know enough about you know suicide and the impact that it has on families and all that kind of stuff like like i just could never i could do that to myself honestly i, I could do that like just how it would impact me but i could never do that to them i just i just Yes. It's a deal. It's a deal breaker. It just, it yes. just couldn't, couldn't happen. Yes. And thank you for answering the question because it's been a significant through line in the GFR show and a significant awareness for me of how common it is. And the way that you were describing that, like you were one breath away from what other guests would have inserted in there. And that's when I knew I had to kill myself or that's when I tried, or that's when I decided, or so the fact that you didn't is, is, is I want to illuminate that as much because to be at that choice point of feeling like you don't know what to do and feeling like such a failure and like the depth of your despair, I think it's worth noting, like, that you thought of it. And then there was all these reasons why that wasn't really an option, you know, and, um, and, and I'm so grateful that you had the wherewithal and the connection to your family and the feeling of support there and like love, like there was, there was that, even though your wife was extraordinarily pissed, you know, it, you know, it sounded like she was still there. She didn't go anywhere. She was there at the house waiting for you. And when you came back kind of thing, you know, and, um, you know, I could just, I'm just flashing through like, you know, half a dozen male guests that I've had that have, that have shared similar stories from an emotional standpoint and thought about it or tried. And so I, I'm obviously grateful that that wasn't your path. And, yeah, and, and again, you and I talked about this before we hit record, but it's an epidemic in our society. Yeah. That of men getting to that point, driven by business, career, financial failures and making that choice. Yes. And, and again, I was, I was blessed because I, I was at that moment where I had, I had failed. Like I had failed epically it was <laughs> official yeah and and i had done it in a, in a really like like drag other people down with me kind of way and and yet it and again i say this 2020 hindsight looking back on it i didn't feel this way in the moment but it that didn't define who i was it felt in that moment like it did but the like truth it is it doesn't and it didn't define who i really am and i think myself like looking at myself in that moment as who I am as a businessman was truly tragic, like epically tragic, but who I am as a dad was a completely different thing. And, and I had that to be able to balance out. And, and I think the people who make up kind of the epidemic of what we see with, with men committing suicide is if they don't have something to balance it out, if they are so identified with their business success, if they think they are their business, then on some level, it makes total sense, like how they would come to that conclusion. 
But what I would say, based on everything I've learned doing my own work and working with Jack and, and, and all of it, 20 plus years, it isn't who we are. How much money we have, the car we drive, the house we live in, you know, the job we have, our level of success or failure, it isn't who we are. It's just what we do. I agree. And part of your after story has to do with financial success and then even more recently a a windfall of sorts and it was illuminating to talk with you about we're like we're not like we don't identify as that business you know that's not who we are it's what we do but also and also for me success equaled money right there was you know it, it just was a like an irrefutable connection until yeah, we live in. Yeah. Right. Until I had the money, the, uh, on the outside, the million dollar business, the seven figure gross income, let's all be real, right. The gross income of the business of a million dollars. And I was miserable and I call it my like biggest success and my biggest failure because I created this thing that was, you know, financially at a certain level and, you know, and was miserable and wound up my biggest success is the decision to, to get real about it and to dismantle it. And there was debt, but it wasn't, I hadn't drowned myself yet, but I think I was on that way. And to, you know, even in the last year, even deepen my work around uh, severing the ties between my success and what I feel good about in, in, my, in my life and money. Yeah, I appreciate this perspective and having this conversation at this time. And so what would you like to share in our sort of last segment here with everybody, what would you like to share about, you know, in the aftermath, you know, after you, you somehow picked yourself up and you created something new and how that whole experience contributes to, to what your life looks like now and your business? Well, I think one of the best ways to explain it actually goes back to kind of an open loop and something that I shared with you earlier, which is I wrote a book called Manifesting for Non-Gurus. And, and I told you, I learned over the course of years that it was a clever title, but a horrible brand. And um, once this all happened, once this whole thing blew up, and once I, I, I didn't have to put so much energy into pretending everything was okay when it wasn't, when I really was focusing with both hands on, on making it work, one of the things that became really obvious to me was that it was a terrible brand. Like this whole manifesting for non-guru, you know, I walk into a potential paying client and you know, a leader, an influence or whatever, and share a copy of my book. And they would look at it like manifesting for non-gurus and their eyes would roll back in their head. And they're like, what the heck is that, dude? You know, that's not what I want. And out of some other work that I was doing actually with young people at the time um, about stress and pressure and helping young people make decisions and take actions based on their vision and values instead of stress and pressure, I came up with this concept called excellent decisions. And I realized what I was trying to do was help young people make better decisions because the decisions that we make are, are the bridge between all the inner work, you know, that you and I love and we spend time on, you know, the vision and the, and the, the thoughts and the beliefs and the habits and all the stuff that's going on inside. Well, at some point we express it into the outside world. We go out and we engage and we take action. We create results and experiences, but the bridge between the two is the decisions that we make. So as suddenly in this conversation about excellent decisions instead of manifesting for non-gurus that I just, it was right there in front of me the whole time, but I couldn't see it because I was so wrapped up in this whole kind of cover-up thing. <laughs> and as soon as I rebranded things, it was a total game changer for me. I still do the same work today that I was doing before, but now I do it under the brand of excellent decisions around the conversation of excellent decisions and vision and values versus stress and pressure. And that same person, I used to walk into their office and they rolled their eyes and went, okay, dude, whatever. Now they're like, tell me more about that. I, wanna, I want my people to make excellent decisions. I, I see how important that is. I know what happens when I don't make good decisions. I wanna learn more about how to make decisions that really are in alignment with what's really important to me. So slight tweak to the, to the conversation made like all the difference in the world. And, and I, you know, if we had more time, I, we could go into example after example after example of once I was open to that 
once I wasn't spending so much, and I had no idea I was even doing it, but so much of my time and attention was going into pretending everything was okay and convincing everybody else that it, everything was okay and making sure that nobody found out what was really going on. That's a lot of time and energy. And once it freed up, I was seeing things and trying things um, and, and getting results that were just completely different. Give us one example, one of your favorite stories of how after you stopped spending so much energy on hiding and, and, and so that nobody would find out, you, you said things started really falling into place. What's one of the uh, favorite stories you like to share? One of my favorite stories is uh, through a mutual friend. Uh, actually through that Southern California Association of Transformational Leaders group. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to share a copy of my book with someone, but now when I share a copy of my book, I'm too cheap to reprint all the books. I still have books from the, from the original <laughs> printing. So I actually- I'm have... too cheap to reprint all the books. I want oh, you to, just, to write that shit true. down and truth. reflect on that in your next monthly vision and value session. Mm -hmm. so... <laughs> Well, it's just true. I'm Scottish. What can I say? This comes from my grandfather. But what I did was instead of reprinting books, I had stickers made right, you know, with the background that matches the cover of my book. And it, okay. and it says excellent decisions instead of manifesting for non-gurus. So instead okay. of printing a new book, because I'm very proud of my book. Uh, I'll give you a link for your audience that they can go and oh, get awesome. a PDF, PDF copy of my book for free. But um but I'm very proud of the content in this book and people love the book and I get great reviews on the book. So again, I didn't want to rewrite and, and reprint the book. So I just had stickers made and I put it right on the cover and, and I got introduced to somebody and I shared a copy of my book and I shared the whole story about excellent decisions and all that. And, and this person is, it turned out that they worked with a customer service company based in Singapore. And they ended up talking to the person who actually started that company and they were looking for someone to actually facilitate some of their work and their work was really aligned with my work. And they asked me if I would ever be interested in co-facilitating some of their work. And I took a look at it. It was totally aligned and, and, and I didn't have to do any of the marketing stuff, which I hate, you know? So I just got to go out and facilitate work that I really believed in and matched up really well with my own work. And they ended up being for a period of about two years, my biggest client. And it was all just out of these simple conversations that I probably would have totally missed before right. I was just open and I was trying it and I was sharing the book and I went, had no attachment to what exactly was going to happen from it. Um, and I, I never could have predicted it like, oh, I'm going to share this book. And then, and, and then they'll, they'll, you know, none of that. It was just out there engaging, getting in conversations, talking to people. And, you know, every conversation didn't lead to my biggest client, but that one did. I love that story. And it's so in alignment with this idea of uh, claiming your soapbox that I've really been spending energy on instead of teaching people about marketing and sales. It's just like, what is your soapbox? Because once you are super excited and irrefutably excited without having to have the perfect words for it, you know, but just like, this is my thing that I can't not share, you know, like that kind of thing magic happens and you could be like planning like the perfect we call them unlaunches now but like the perfect you know launch where you're stressing whatever and then the things come from the direction you didn't even plan just because you're you know you're you're living your mission and you're sharing it and so i love that story and uh yeah and that's I, exactly that's a beautiful description of the vision and values piece and you know sometimes the energy around vision and values can be really exciting like you talked about it can also just be really grounded energy it's different for different people but when we're really clear about what's important to us and we're we're acting from that place and saying no to things from that place and saying yes to things from that place it's total game changer yes i love that i love this i could talk to you forever robert i know so i started fun. to talk to see how long like, like how did that happen did i know i know so we're going to do a special segment for the gfr squad where we're going to get into some of your excellent decisions work which i'm really excited about awesome. so to wrap things up that quote you you shared with me you picked out a favorite quote and i think that would be a good way to to kind of as a final thought yeah i think it's really relevant you know to the you know, the financial issues that we've talked about and the identity people have about their financial success and, and striving for more success with financially thinking that will make you happy. And, and the quote I talked to you about was from Jim Rohn. And it was, um, more money will make you more of who you really are. And when I first heard that, I, I had what I call the RCA dog 
response. Well, for older listeners, they'll know they'll know what that is. <laughs> kind of cocking your head to the yeah, side cocking your head, bit, like what, like what? <laughs> and and when I really thought about it, it, just made so much sense to me. You know, like if you're if you're kind of a jerk, more money will probably make you more of a jerk. But if you're a kind, caring person who really wants to make a contribution in the world, more money will make you more kind, more caring, and able to make an even bigger contribution in the world. And that's really all money is. Money is like a magnifier. Like it, it creates the opportunity to do more, you know, to fully, more fully express whoever you really are. So to me, like the, the takeaway is before you go out there and chase any more money, get really clear about who you really are and make sure that all that money you're going to make, and I'm, I'm all for making more money. I think that's great. But make sure that all that money you're going to make is going to create more of something that you really want to create more of and not like if you if you're kind of a mess right now, you know, we hear about this with lottery winners, you know, their yes. life's a mess and they make more money and their life's an even bigger mess. Um, so don't do that, you know, get really clear about what's important to you and what you want to create more of and then go out there and make a shit ton of money and, and you will create more of that. I love that. And to really uh, show our listeners like how you walk your talk, you know, Robert recently inherited some money. He said, this is, I love his quote. He said, it changed everything and it changed nothing. Yeah. And I think that that really underscores what you're saying. Yeah. My mom, uh, my mom passed away not too long ago. She was kind of the last of her generation and uh, it was really rough time. And there was all sorts of like emotion around that. And one of the things that was part of it was that my father had been pretty successful and that they had been very responsible about their money. And so, so I did inherit a little chunk of money. And, and it was like, at the time, it was like, oh my God, this changes everything. But then really quickly I learned, like, it doesn't really change anything. You know, It's like, like the reptilian brain of like money, yay, everything's gonna be okay. And you're like, wait, yeah. no, kind of like still the same, you know? <laughs> yeah, it really, I mean, and I told you, I really wanna be a steward of that money and pass it on to my own children. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, woohoo, you know, I'm going to go buy a boat, you know, whatever. No, it's not like that. I, I really want to make sure that it gets stewarded to the next generation. So that's kind of a, well, it doesn't really change anything. It creates an element of security. It's nice to know it's there. It's good. It's good to have money. I don't have a problem with that. But, um, but it really. Now you can reprint your book. <laughs> yeah, now I can reprint my book. Probably Sorry, I had to it. say it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. And it's good. I, I appreciate you pointing that out because. You know, having people in our lives who, when we say something like I'm too cheap, will say, uh, really? Like, how's that work? How's that belief about yourself working? I, I like the fact that I have people like you in my life who will call me on that kind of stuff. Because it is like, like, that was a conscious decision. It's not important to me to reprint those books, but it doesn't mean I'm cheap. So anyway, thanks. For right, that. right, right, right. And I feel like us as experts, we're evolving so quickly now that like there, like a year ago, I was looking at some of my old training and I was like, oh, I really want to update that, put that on a new platform. And really was a thing. Like I want to pretty it up and pull out the good stuff. And like, here I am a year. And I just, I just launched, I just created this whole new thing, the unlaunch and all this new stuff about sales and marketing. Like that stuff's obsolete, that old stuff now. Like it just, you know, so uh, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, there's, there's so much um, new thoughts and that are being inspired in, in the way that we're being called up as leaders. So thank you for, being such a beautiful example. And thank you for sharing so beautifully about your experience. I know it's going to help others to hear from the depth of your despair to the after and inspire others to stop hiding. It takes too much energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate the invitation and, you know, truthfully uh, in the network that I've been able to build over the years. And I you mentioned, I have my own podcast. I do a lot of uh, interviewing and being interviewed and I love doing it. And when I first heard about your podcast and you invited me to be on it, I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Uh, but I really am thrilled in, in getting ready to do this and agreeing to do this and now actually doing it. it it's, it's hugely beneficial. Like the, the work you're doing is so important and so valuable. And uh, you know, everyone should be on this side of, of someone asking the questions that you're asking to just, mm. to just let it go, you know, like, like move on from the, from the, shit that happens so move on from the shit happens that's the final quote move on from the shit that happens <laughs> thank you robert mcphee it's been an awesome pleasure all right thank you 
Okay, y'all, Robert is gifting you with a PDF copy of his Manifesting for Non-Gurus book, which is totally cool. Uh, and it's so fun teasing him about not having, not updating it. <laughs> and along with the book, you get access to his Dynamics of Change video, which will explain why people experience resistance to change and when they're pursuing a goal that they don't even know is good for them. So that's a cool gift link in the show notes. And Robert shared with me that the GFR commandment that is his favorite is number 10, which is around owning his value. And he feel like embrace, he feels like embracing his value is the single most significant thing that he's done in this process of getting his business on track. If you haven't gotten your copy of the GFR commandments, this is, it's such an even great time of year. If you're doing, if you want to do any kind of introspection or take inventory or get real about what you're tolerating, the GFR commandments are a really fun way of doing it. Fun, meaning that they're not too confronting. <laughs> it's not too much involved. Uh, it's one PDF download and then um, some emails after that kind of help you how to use them. So grab those at gfr.life forward slash 12C, like the number 12 and C for commandments, get your commandments. And if in the new year you would like to, or whenever you're listening to this, you would like to be in a community where truth talking and speaking our truth and being vulnerable is kind of the way we are, the way we're to be. And you could see the value of, of that. I would love for you to join the GFR squad right now. It's only $20 a month or 200 for the whole year. So you basically get two months free and you get to get on a monthly call with me and the community. And we pick one of these GFR commandments and we talk about it and you could just come and listen or just to be in the vibe of confessions, or you can come and push yourself outside your comfort zone, whatever you want. Confessions are not required, but I uh, would love to have you in the GFR squad. It would be a very wise investment if you're wanting to be more real about what's not working in your life and make some changes. So I look forward to meeting you. If you join the GFR squad, go to gfr.life forward slash squad, S-Q-U-A-D. All right. I look forward to talking to you next time on the GFR show.